Okay, guys, if you have a Bible, would you please grab it? We are in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is, as we have said many weeks now, the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. It's also the most misunderstood sermon that's ever been preached. How do we know this? We know this because the Pharisees themselves, who were experts in the Old Testament, completely misunderstood what the Old Testament meant. And Jesus corrects their thinking about the Old Testament. And by corollary, in many ironic ways, the church has through the ages often misunderstood what Jesus meant. And so today we're going to look at a very, very difficult passage, but one that is crucial for us as a church to talk about together as a family. So Stephanie's going to come now and read from us from Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32, and also Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, woman commits adultery. And Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 9. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we now virt- uh, venture into um, choppy waters, Choppy because the church, your church, has not always done a good job of rescuing those amidst divorce and has not always done a good job of preaching clearly on it. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us now to think not only about what you say in this text, but think also about the nature of our own marriages. And so drive us to the joy of repentance that we find our rest in you. That we find that our greatest spouse, our perfect spouse, the spouse that equips us to be a good spouse, is you, O Holy Father. So Jesus, be with us now, we pray. Would you help my words to be your words and whatever uh, human words Um, I speak, I pray that they fall on deaf ears so that your word is what people hear. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us together as we think about this text to find that you are more beautiful and believable than we 
yet know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For obvious reasons, this text is a very difficult text to preach on. It's a difficult text to preach on because legally there's no fault divorce. Most people view divorce today as just one of the options that they have when they enter a marriage. And um, you know this is the case because you think about the statistics, which I'm not going to bore you with, but they're true. One in two marriages ends in divorce. There's no difference between the statistical uh, averages of non-believers as there are with believers. That's an indictment on the church of Jesus Christ, friends. It's also an indictment on the shepherds of the churches of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to be honest with you, as soon as the session or as soon as the elders of a church or the pastor, who is usually the first one to know, begins to help you through a divorce or begins to enter into your marriage, we have a tiger by the tail. And we almost can never win in that situation. Not that we're trying to win, but we're trying to win reconciliation and repentance. And we tend to take a lot of the heat, which is fine. That is part of our calling. But I want you to know this, that when the church refuses to enter into marriages that are in the midst of divorce, we, the church, as you're going to see, not only implicitly condone what God condemns, but we actually put that person's soul in peril by inviting them to further sin. So, listen, the way it works today, and you know how it works, is this. So, if the statistics are what they are, like, okay, so I have a 50-50 shot of not getting divorced. You know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. Since the church doesn't really talk about uh, how to enter into good relationships, there's really not that much premarital counseling done anymore. It's legal. You know, you get into legal issues. So, I think I'm just going to live with my girlfriend for a while. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'm just going to live with my boyfriend. We'll try it out because, you know, I mean, listen, if it's, if it's a 50-50 shot, let's hedge our bets. And if we live together, well, then maybe, maybe we'll have, you know, only a 25% chance of being divorced. And so, and so, ironically, because you're worried about divorce, you actually begin to live together, which causes a whole host of other issues that you're blind to when you enter into it, thinking that somehow this is going to benefit you. And friends, listen, this is a hard text. And so we're going to straight up just walk right through it. But before we do, I want you to know that if you're in this room and you're divorced, we love you. And some of you have been through legitimate divorces in the eyes of God. And some of you have been through illegitimate divorces in the eyes of God. And friends, we love you. And you know what? I have sinned a hundred times probably, since I woke up this morning. And so has everybody else in this room. So there's, there are no second-class citizens in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't care if you're hooked on porn, men. I don't care, wise, if you've been abused and you're ashamed of it. There are no second-class citizens in this church. We are all broken sinners, and we need Jesus. So my wife's family, whenever the family has to have a little talk together, they call it a family talk. That usually involves wine and cheese and a dining room table, and we all talk together. We're going to have a little family talk here. 
And so we're going to look at three things in this passage. We're going to look at Moses, we're going to look at the Pharisees, and we're going to look at Jesus. And we're going to screw the bolts down on what the Bible teaches about the topic of divorce. Sound good to you? Okay, so let's talk. First, the Sermon on the Mount. In this context, Jesus just says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus does this six times at the Sermon on the Mount. He is never contrasting, please hear me, he is not contrasting what Moses said, and now here's what I say to correct what Moses once said. Jesus is contrasting the misinterpretation of what Moses said by the Pharisees with what Jesus believes, and in fact, Moses actually did mean by what he said. The issue of contrast here, whenever you see it written, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, it's not a contrast between, okay, the Old Testament was wrong and Jesus, I, I, Jesus is here and he's going to tell you what's right. It's that the Pharisees, who were the religious conservatives, mind you, the religious conservatives who knew the Old Testament extremely well, they had completely misunderstood what the Old Testament taught. So he is comparing himself, dare we be so bold, to the religious conservative crowd and how they misunderstood what the Bible really taught. So, you see it again here. It says, you have heard it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, Jesus here is referring, of course, to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And you have a Bible, you can rifle back through and you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I'm going to read it for us. Here is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4. When Moses gives the law to Israel, he says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if he then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency, now catch that phrase, some indecency, in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving for an inheritance. All right, what's going on here? What's happening here is that Moses provides a concession for marriage in the midst of Israel in the Old Testament. It is an amputation because there is a horrible infection. And the Lord, through Moses, bends over backwards, though he hates divorce. You want to know what he hates worse? Sexual immorality some indecency. He says, in the midst of Israel, who had co-opted the world's view of divorce, Israel basically believed in no-fault divorce. You take a wife, great. You don't like her? Listen, Rabbi Akiba, who is an old Jewish rabbi, says if she breaks a piece of fine china, you can write her a certificate of divorce. Indeed, if she burns the dinner, you can write her a certificate of divorce. There, there were rampant reasons why people divorced in ancient Israel. And Moses, rather than giving Israel permission to divorce, he is actually restricting the reasons they divorced to one reason only. So in the midst of the chaos, 
Moses is actually screwing down the bolts. And I want you to know, first of all, notice that he does not say anything about adultery in this passage, does he? Like, do you see the word? There's no word for adultery in here. There's nothing about adultery. Why? Because what was the punishment for adultery in ancient Israel? Death. Capital punishment. It was a capital offense. So there really would be no reason to divorce somebody for adultery because they would be dead. What else do you notice about the text? Moses says you need to give her a certificate of divorce. Why? Because women in the ancient Near East were like chattel. They had a low, sadly, view of women. And many men would put them out in in civil society and they would have to fend for themselves. And they'd have to explain to people, this is why I got it. And it was just not fair to the women. So Moses is protecting the women. He's protecting the women in society by saying you must give her a certificate of divorce so that it gives the reason why you chose to divorce her. Why? So that she is able to be married again and be taken care of. Do you see that? Now, what else does Moses do? He not only says that you must give her a certificate of divorce, not only is there only one reason why you must divorce her, but he also has this provision where he says, okay, so men, catch this. If you divorce your wife and then you change your mind later, uh uh-uh, there's no going back. Moses was trying to help these yahoos who were divorcing their wives for all kinds of reasons to say, there's only one reason you divorce your wife. Two, you have to give her a certificate of divorce. And three, it is permanent. No going back. So you see in the Old Testament that Moses is not somehow like allowing divorce. He's not like commending divorce. He is saying that in the dire circumstances that there is some indecency, which we'll talk about in just a minute. He legislates how it is to happen. Does that make sense? All right, that's Moses. Now the Pharisees, there were two schools of thought that grew up since the time of Moses. One was um, the school of Hillel, and one was the school of Shammai. These are two well-known rabbis. The, the Hillel school was the Harvard of the ancient Near East when Jesus walked. It was the school where their uh, Rabbi Hillel's most, um, his best student was Gamaliel, Gamaliel's best student was who? The Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is steeped in the Hillel school of Judaic thought. And on the other hand, there was a minority group called the Shemites. And they argued over this text on what exactly, what I just read, some indecency meant. So the Hillel school said some indecency can be whatever you want. So when Rabbi Akiba, an old rabbi, says, if she burns the dinner, it doesn't suit you. She looks at you cross-eyed, cross-eyed, it's fine. Write her a certificate of divorce, she's gone. The Shemites, on the other hand, were the minority, and they said, no, no, no. It has to be some kind of sexual immorality issue. The Pharisees adopted the Hillel school. So while they were extremely conservative in almost every other issue, they were profoundly liberal when it came to divorce. Does it sound like somebody that you know? I mean, the evangelical church has so abdicated their ability to step into people's life in the midst of divorce 
that we have practically condoned what God condemns by not pastoring people's hearts. And yes, the structures of some churches affect that. Yes, sizes of churches can affect that, though not necessarily so. Small churches can abdicate the responsibility just as much as big churches. But the issue is that the Pharisees here come to Jesus and Jesus says to the Pharisees, you have heard it was said, a man shall divorce his wife. He's quoting the Hallel school of Judaic thought. And Jesus says to them that I tell you that there is only one reason why you can divorce your wife, the Shemite school, except on the grounds of sexual immorality. Now, if you're going to understand um, Jesus' perspective, thirdly, then you have to look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, again, you have some scribes and Pharisees that are coming to Jesus. And they came to him, and what does it say in verse 3? If you have your Bibles, in 19 verse 3, it says, And the Pharisees came up to him, and they genuinely wanted to know what Jesus thought about the issue of divorce. No, it says they came and they tested him because they were trying to trap Jesus. They wanted to say, Jesus, can a man give a woman a certificate of divorce for any reason? Like, didn't Moses tell us that we could do that? So Jesus says, yes. They say, aha, you agree with us. And if he says no, they would say, aha, we knew that you were a blasphemer and you did not agree with Moses. So what does Jesus say? It says, The Pharisees say to them, is it lawful to divorce one's wife? And Jesus says, they're saying it is commanded to divorce one's wife. Isn't it commanded by Moses to divorce one's wife? And Jesus says, listen, it is permitted because divorce is like an amputation. It is what you do at the last resort. You guys are, per, are commanding it to be done when dinner is burnt. Moses permitted it, and only in the case of sexual immorality. Is that the only re- biblical reason why we can be divorced? Like, Jesus clearly says that if there's an issue of sexual immorality, then the um, party who is offended against is free to divorce. And even within the church, friends, sometimes it is always messy. Sometimes there are people who choose to stay in marriages even though there there were issues of sexual immorality. Indeed, even in our own congregation, Many of us could tell stories of that and our own repentance in those areas where we have chosen to continue on even though there has been a breach of the covenant of marriage. So it's not commanded that you give a divorce, but God bends over backwards to allow it in such circumstances. But there's also another place, isn't there, in Scripture where divorce is allowed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if two people who are unbelievers are married and one of those one of those spouses becomes a Christian Paul says to them you are to you've made a covenant of marriage with your spouse you are to stick it out no matter how hard it gets as a believer that is your role because maybe you will win your spouse to the Lord or if not listen your children 
who grow up in the nurtured admonition of the church, they will be set apart as, as members of Christ's church because of the relationship with you, just like we do in baptism, for example. But if you marry someone and you become a Christian and they don't, and they want to leave you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let them go. They are free. They are free. So here are the two reasons why divorce is permissible according to God's word. Number one, when there's an act of sexual immorality, divorce is permissible. And number two, when an unbelieving spouse deserts another. Do you see those two points? This is very, very important. I'm going to give us a couple case studies, and, and then um, we're going to prepare for the supper. It's very important. So let's say that there is a couple who um, is in our church, and let's say that they're having marital difficulty. It is the role and the job of the session of this church to help that couple work through that. Because friends, your marriages, yes, they are your own. They are your own in some sense. Yes, the two shall become one flesh. But when you join Christ's church, you join as part of a body. And so whenever you're having marital difficulty, listen, you are pulling fingers off the body of Christ. You're affecting everybody in the church. And your ability to love each other and your ability to fight for your marriage and to fight, if you're fighting, you're moving toward each other. It's a beautiful thing. So, let's say you have two people in the church and they're struggling over their marriage. And let's say that um, there's uh, one spouse commits sexual immorality. And um, they, they, um, they, are, they are both believers. Um, does the offended spouse have a right, biblically, to divorce if they chose to divorce their husband or their wife? Yes. Let's say that there are two people who one is a believer, one is a non-believer. There's an issue of sexual immorality there. Let's say the unbeliever commits adultery. Um, Does the believing spouse then have a right, if they wanted to do it biblically, do they have permission to divorce their wife according to God's word? Again, yes, they do. Okay. This is going to get fun. What if you have a spouse? What if you have a spouse who decides two believing people, two believing people, and they decide to be divorced for illegitimate reasons? That is, that they decide to be divorced not because of issues of sexual immorality, which is the only reason two believers could possibly be divorced, right? And let's say that the man decides he wants to, he wants to sue for divorce and the wife then leaves, or the, he then leaves and divorces his wife. Is she free to remarry according to God's word? No. No, she's not. Let me finish. Why? Because you have two believing people who have separated for illegitimate reasons, is she therefore free to remarry? No. Why would she? Because she would be causing the person she would marry to be committing adultery because in God's eyes, they're still married. So this is 
arguably the most important reason why church discipline must happen in the church. Here's why. Just like Moses protected the offended party back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, so the church's job is to step in in that situation and protect the offended party. Here's how it would work. You have a marriage where you have two people who are suing for divorce. One person who is suing for divorce for an say, you know, mental abuse or whatever, or no fault divorce, whatever it may be. And they claim to be a believer. And let's say that the church does nothing about it. And they say, yes, he's still a believer. And they divorce. And she, although she had nothing to do with that divorce, wants to marry again. Can she marry again biblically? No. Because in God's eyes, they're still married. Because he still claims to be a believer. The church still claims him to be a believer. This is why church discipline is necessary. It is the church's job to help this young couple. I haven't lost you. If I've lost you, raise your hand. We'll have a, we'll have a, a Sunday school kind of sermon here. It is the church's job to step in and protect the innocent party in that case. So we would go, for example, to that man and say, listen, sir, you have chosen to divorce your wife for a reason that is outside the bounds of God's allowance in Scripture. You cannot do that as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would plead with him, and we would open God's word to him, and we would love him. There's no banging the Bible on his head. We would plead with him. See what God's word says, brother, if you are a brother. Believers, don't do this. And he says, get out of my face before I punch you. It is my business. And so the elders who have gone to him and pleaded with him are shut out. The elders of the church, therefore, have to, have to pronounce him an unbeliever. Why? To protect the innocent party who has been divorced. So that she can be free to remarry. Do you see how this works? Listen, church discipline is part and parcel of a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though pastors, you can hear it in the tension that we feel in this room. It is hard and ugly and messy. It does not matter what the state says is a legitimate divorce. What matters is what God says is a legitimate divorce. And that is why the ecclesiastical courts, if I could dare use that term, the session, the presbytery, the courts of the church, the elders of your church must be involved from the very earliest of stages in that divorce so that we can pronounce the husband or the wife who is deciding to leave for unbiblical grounds an unbeliever so that that other innocent husband or wife would therefore be free to remarry according to God's word. Does that make sense? This is extremely important. And the church has so often abdicated their responsibility because they're thinking about nickels and noses. They're thinking about marketing campaigns. They're thinking about how many people are in the pews. And they forget that their primary call is to shepherd the souls of men and women. So I want to ask you if you would be so bold as to pray for the elders of our church to have courage to step into messy situations and to pray for your own marriages and your own situations that you would be willing to receive the counsel of the Lord from those men that the Holy Spirit has called to lead the church. That is what makes a church a family. And yes, in some ways your marriage is your business. 
But in other ways, it is family business. And we hold each other's feet to the fire because we love each other. And that we commit together to preserve our marriages at all costs. And in the dire situation where there is an issue of an unbelieving spouse who has deserted their husband or wife, or there is a case of sexual immorality, we plead to preserve and cherish and love our marriages. This is why Frederick Dale Bruner called this passage and the one that I preached on last week on lust, the lions at the door. That they are like two lions, these two passages on lust and on divorce, who stand at the door and they roar back at the men who are longing to leave. And they roar back at those women who are longing to leave and they say, don't leave this house. The Lord, what the Lord has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And in the old tradition of doing marriages, you know, you've heard, some of you have heard me do marriages and you've heard, you know, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to celebrate marriage, an act instituted by God and, and regulated by his word. And we want to be people who are regulated by his word. And in Owasso, Oklahoma, dare I even say, even the tendencies in my own heart, is to be conservative of almost every other issue of authority except when it comes to something so personal as divorce. And the church has adopted, just like the Pharisees had, a very liberal view of divorce. And what we are doing as a church together is we are calling back one another to a biblical position on marriage. And we see that the place Scripture puts the issue of divorce is a concession, not a loophole. And you must view it that way. It's not, okay, what reason can I find to get a divorce? No, friends, that is sinful. The question ought to be, look how beautiful Christ is and how he has called me together with this person. No, it's hard. It's hard. I've committed to be with him for life. And those of you who are divorced, I just... I just let me um, give you a word of encouragement. Those of you who are divorced, and maybe you were divorced illegitimately, and maybe, maybe um, it's a very difficult situation because the church didn't pronounce your spouse to be an unbeliever. And maybe you are living in God's eyes in an adulterous marriage. Even though it may have been a marriage for 20 years, it's beautiful, and there's new children involved. It's wonderful. It's messy, isn't it? But I want you to know something that if any of you feel shame about being divorced and if any of you look down your nose at people who are divorced, do you know who also is divorced? God himself. Because in Jeremiah chapter 3, what does he say? He says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, the faithless one, Israel? How she went up on high on every hill and under every green tree and there she played the whore. And I thought after she has done this thing, she will come back to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And she saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. The Lord himself divorced himself from Israel. So friends, listen, if you're in the midst of a divorce, if you've had a divorce or you're in the midst of it, the Lord knows what that's like. And he's with you. 
He has borne your shame on that cross. And he has died for every one of my sins. And whether innocent or not, he is with you and he knows what you're going through. And if you haven't been divorced, please don't be like the Pharisees who either legitimize divorce, turn a blind eye to it, or they begin to look down their nose and begin to test other people about the issue of divorce. Friends, we must be a church that loves each other well, that whenever these messy issues come up, we're able to step in and we're able to shepherd them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Moses pronounced divorce as a concession. It was an amputation, the last cause. The Pharisees said, listen, Moses commanded it. And Jesus says, no, he didn't. He allowed it. And only for one reason. Sexual immorality by a believing partner. Or by an unbelieving partner. And then Paul came around later and said, if an unbeliever deserts you, you too also are free. So friends, let's turn our eyes toward the marriage supper of the Lamb. And prepare our hearts now to come to take the Lord's Supper and ask yourself, am I strengthening my marriage today? Am I preparing for the Lord to strengthen my marriage today? So the divorce is not an option because it's not an option for the people of God. And we want to run to him because he is our great husband. And as I said earlier, we can never learn to be a good spouse until we have learned to first be good brides. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us as your church to be your bride. You have made us holy and spotless. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to be clear, clear in our thinking about divorce, to not view it through the eyes of the world, to not even view it through the eyes of the state, but to view it through your word. And so, Father, would you help us to be people who fight for marriages, who get in when it's messy, and even get in before the elders have a chance to get in because we love our brothers and sisters and we want to help them. So, oh Lord, I pray for marriages in this room that you will strengthen them, that you will make them stronger, that you will help us to learn that when we do argue, that we argue toward each other, not away from each other, that we fight for our covenant of marriage because Jesus, you are the one who gives us the strength in our marriages to persevere because you are the one who gave your life for us that we might take our righteousness not from ourself, but be covered by your love for sinners like me and like each of us. So help us now as we prepare for the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.